And uh, tonight, if you open your Bible to Ephesians 5, uh, we're covering favorite passages of Scripture, uh, passages that we find ourselves as, uh, or I find myself as a pastor, as a counselor, as a friend, uh, even in my own personal life, going to over and over again. These are passages that are very familiar, um, and I find them to be the mo- some of the most helpful and most encouraging and convicting, etc., passages in all Scripture. So Ephesians 5 Let's look at some context before we jump in. Um, look at Ephesians 5, verse 8. Um, I've got to get there. Give me one second. Uh, Ephesians 5. If you look at verse 8, he says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So we are to be walking differently than the world. This is consistent with our t- uh, discussion from chapter 4, where he says, Put off the old man. You're not like the walking as the Gentiles walk. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man. And uh, so in verse 8, he talks about walking as children of light. Look at verse 15. How else are we supposed to walk? We are to walk what? circumspectly. Isn't that a cool word? What does that mean? It means to look around while you walk. It means you're not supposed to be walking while looking at your phone, right? Because then you'll run into a pole (laughs) on the side of the road. Uh, That's what happens. I had a friend one time in in college who came in, a big black eye, and I said, man, what happened to you? He said, well, I was uh, downtown Greenville with my girlfriend who was visiting in town, and he said, and uh, somebody started making fun of her. And so I, I threw a punch, and he punched me back and hit me in the eye. I said, I cannot believe that. He said, good, because it's not true. <laughs> he said, I was looking at my girlfriend by walking down the road and didn't notice there was a sign. <laughs> and he hit a stop sign with his face and had a black eye. And so that was, uh, you are to walk circumspectly. Of course, um, that is a, uh, a picture of how we are to walk. Circumspectly means wisely. Not as fools, but as wise. We're to not just gobble up everything that we see and everything that happens to us. We are everything that people tell us. We are to be discerning. Okay? So when you listen to people talk to you online or when you see news articles or when you watch TV and people give you advice, which people are constantly doing, you need to be wise. And you do not need to just gobble up everything that everyone tells you as if it's the truth. 518. How are you to be walking around? You are not to be filled with wine or controlled by substances. You are to be filled with the Spirit. Your life should be controlled by Christ. And here's what this means. You need to be willing to give up your own version of control to allow God to control you. You must be filled with the Spirit as one is filled with wine, meaning that when you are filled with wine, you will lose control of your of your uh, decision-making, you lose control of your, you know, your, your thinking, and, and that's a negative example here. The positive example is that you are to be in submission to Christ. Look at verse 21. He says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. We are to live with a kindness towards each other in submission, that we are not to be like bulls in a china shop, just making sure everyone knows what we think and busting through and demanding our way all the time. That's very dangerous. So in light of those things, let's talk about family dynamics. Family dynamics, and we deal with several categories. Paul deals with the categories of people within the household, and he begins in verse 22 with wives. All right? The marriage relationship is so important to the Christian. God spent a lot of time in the Bible giving us instructions on how we are to live out this relationship. Look with me in verse 22. Let's read uh, about three verses here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. What is the command? He's speaking to wives who are bound to their 
husband by covenant relationship. And what is the command he gives the wives? Wives, you are to what? Submit. Submit, okay. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, okay? How are you to submit? As you would submit to the Lord, okay? You are to, now this right here, I'm going to get canceled for saying this, right? If these kinds of videos come out, people, people don't like this kind of stuff. It is, it is very countercultural. To submit, the Greek word for submit means to place oneself under, Okay, it is a submission is actually does not have anything to do with value. It has to do with position. And how do I know this? Well, Jesus submitted to the Father. And if Jesus submits to the Father, but is co-equal with the Father, it does not have anything to do with wives being less of a human or less important or anything like that. It has to do with role that you play in the family. There is a responsibility that husbands have and that wives have. And wives, he begins, you are to submit yourselves as you would to the Lord. Um, the definition, dictionary definition of this word means uh, of submission involving recognition of an ordered structure. Okay? With ordered structure and with, with whom appropriate respect is shown. To submit is to show Respect. There's a couple verses here, Colossians 3.18, Colossians 3, Titus 2.5, and 1 Peter 3.1, which all say similar things. We're not really going to go through all of these right now. Not important for us to, to rehash all of those, but that's just for your, for your reference. We are to submit. Wives are to submit to their own husbands. To submit means to align yourself under the authority of your husband, not someone else's husband. Okay, she, she, he says, to your own husband's and you should reasonably obey the direction and guidance of your husband. What's the reason for this command? He says that in verse 23 as he talks about wives. What's the reason for this command? Let's look at uh, this verse. He says, for, again, whenever you see the word for, it's usually describing a reason. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. The reason for this is the order and structure of the marriage relationship should reflect the church's relationship to Christ. So, wife to husband, wife to husband should reflect the relationship of the church to Christ in this respect. Wife is to reflect like the what? Like the church. And the husband is to take the place of or to reflect the role of Christ with respect to the church. So this is the, the husband-wife relationship is to be a picture of the relationship of Christ to the church, or the church to Christ in our culture. We are to actually reflect that through our marriage. And it's deeper. It's even deeper than just a reflection. But the order and structure of this is important. And we talk about head Christ, uh, the husband is the head of the wife. Let's use, I'm going to write that word out because I think this is um, an important thing. The husband is the head of the wife. That's one of your blanks. And being the head of the wife, let's look at what this means. Look at Ephesians, can I have a couple people look up verses? Ephesians 1.22 and Colossians 1.18. Let's try to discern what is being mentioned here by the head. What do we mean by this? What are we trying to understand this image to mean. Uh, so like I said, I have two verses here, Ephesians 1.22. Okay, we got one over here. Yes, sir, Zane.
Okay, is that Ephesians one twenty two? I think I have a different one. That's okay. Try it again. That's good. That's good. So the Father put all things under his, Jesus' feet, under his authority, and gave him to be the head. So what does head signify? Gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Authority, authority right? It, it, it signifies authority and responsibility. How about Colossians 1.18? Who has that one? I had another hand over here somewhere, but we can go. Yes, sir, Derek. Colossians 1.18. Again, Christ is called here the head of the body, the church. He's like the, the, the figurehead. He's also the one for whom it exists. He is the head of the wife. Uh, the husband's the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church. He is the leader of the church. He is the director of the church. Where the head turns, the body turns. That's kind of the picture here. And if we keep going further, we see that the husband is not only the head of the wife, it's the husband is the savior of the body. He is the savior of the of the body. If you look at this passage here, um, it says, as, uh, and he, uh, it's just those exact words, Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. What does that mean that, that Christ is the Savior or that the husband is the Savior of the body? I believe that this means that he, he should personally sacrifice himself for the benefit of his family and his wife, and his role should be self-sacrificial. So husband being the Savior means that he is self-sacrificial. Think about how, um, how sacrificial, I got to spell this correctly. See, uh, there we go. Something like that. Just imagine that that's spelled correctly. If, if, uh, if Christ, how does he save the church? How does Christ save? By dying. By dying. So husbands, God calls you to be the savior of the family. It doesn't mean that you're put up on a pedestal. It means that you, you, you die for your family. You are self-sacrificial for your family. That's a very important thing to consider. God does not call the wife to act to that role he calls a husband to. And uh, look at verse 24, and we'll talk about this more in a minute when we get to husbands. Just as the church subjects itself to Christ, wives should be in submission to their own husbands in everything. As I said, this is not popular in culture today at all. Our culture exalts personal autonomy over order, over biblical order, but to obey the scripture is to obey these passages. And submission is, how, how do, let me ask you this way, how do you submit to the Lord? If the Lord is, 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 we call him Lord, right? If God is Lord of your life, how should you submit to Christ? Voluntarily. Voluntarily, good. Doing what he says. Holy, completely. Right? You should, we should submit. We should submit to Christ. When Christ does things, we should submit with respect. And I believe that submission to the Lord is complete with respect. And unless your husband is asking you to do something contrary to God's word, you, the general rule ought to be submission. And practically, if a husband and wife live together in marriage, they ought to have a structure of leadership and submission to move forward. If you don't, think of what happens when a husband and wife disagree over something. I mean, this is just a very practical example. Okay, you're going to have to go your separate ways. Or somebody's going to have to submit to somebody. And this is difficult uh, for us in our modern culture, you know, to think about these things in this way. But the biblical pattern, the biblical role 
is that wives submit to their husbands in this way. They place themselves under, as I said, as a structure of authority. Now let's go to husbands, because he doesn't leave the husbands off the hook. In fact, he, he, he deals with husbands very directly. Look at verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives. See, wives are like, wait a second, that's easy. Like, oh, we have to submit, and all you told him to do was love us. Like, that's, that, anyway, I will stop there. But that is, um, that is not simple. Look at how he describes love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Once again, he talks about Christ and the church, the wife and husband relationship. And he says a husband ought to love his wife. How? In the same way that Christ loved the church. Keep the analogy consistent here. Husbands act like Christ and love like Christ. And how did Christ love the church? In a self-sacrificial way. What did Christ do? He died for the church. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. Husbands, and notice he says, you should love your wives. That's a present tense command. Love your wives and Christ loves. So Christ's examples in the past, we can look to Christ's example and say, that's how I'm supposed to love my wife. Self-sacrificially, I'm supposed to give of myself. I'm supposed to sacrifice of myself. And I think we understand this innately. If, if, if a couple, if, if a couple, my wife and I are walking on the road, and we were on, doing this the other day, walking down the sidewalk, just the two of us together, having a wonderful date night, you know, enjoying life. And, but this didn't happen. Let's just imagine this happened. Let's imagine that somebody jumped out from behind some bushes and, 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 and had a knife, you know, and was, going to, and was going to attack us. And we're there. And if I said, if I grabbed my wife and I pulled her in front of me, um, what would you think about me? You would think I'm a coward. Okay, wow, that's really good. That's exactly the word I had, right, on my sheet of paper. Coward, um, weak, uh, wrong, uh, terrible. What a horrible husband. Selfish, yeah. But aren't we equal? Aren't we the same? Like, what's the, you know, no, a husband's, what, you, you all know this. Like, everyone knows this. The husband's job is to defend his wife. A husband's job is to take the bullet. It is to step up and stand. There, there are rules in our culture, and our, our culture has been Christianized by many things, and we don't realize how Christianized our culture has become. Even in how you walk, like we, were, we do this all the time. When we walk down the road, I, I, uh, the proper way, I don't know if you know this, the proper way to walk down the sidewalk is a husband or the man walks closest to the street or the road. Why? Because the dirt and the junk comes up, and he wants to protect his wife. He is closest to the chaos. He's protecting her from the chaos. So, guys, guys, when you start dating and you, and you find that lovely lady, make sure she walks on the inside and you're showing polite. Uh, yes, right. You remember this. You will impress her with your knowledge. But this is, this is proper, and this is correct. Why? Because you are sacrificing yourself. Do you know men die normally uh, before women do? Because often men, uh, under, their bodies undergo tremendous stress. 
and difficulty. Their work life is very hard on them, and very often men will die at a younger age because they have, in fact, done what Christ has called them to do and sacrificed themselves for their families. That's not always the case. Sometimes men drink themselves to death. I'm not saying it's always this way, but it is true that if you're going to sacrifice yourself from your family, there is an element of of being, of being a godly man is doing that. Think about when the Titanic went down. What did they say? Men and, uh, they say men and women first or men and children first? No, they said children and women first on their lifeboats, right? Why? Because men should sacrifice themselves for their families, for their wives and for their children. So generally men and husbands specifically ought to care for and love their wives in a sacrificial way. And what's the purpose of this command? Look at verse 26. Look at verse 26. He says, that he might sanctify, make her holy, and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. A husband ought to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And the purpose of this command, it says, is to sanctify as Christ sanctifies and cleanses or cleans the church by the washing of the water with the word. Christ will present the church to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or blemish. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands ought to treat their wives with the kind of respect that exalts them and purifies them and makes them holy and doesn't degrade them. Men, if you do things that degrade your wife, that speak poorly of your wife, if you talk down to her, if you degrade her, you're not living in accordance with the Word of God here. You are to exalt her and purify her and cleanse her. And he says in verse 29 that Christ cherishes the church as his own body. We ought to cherish our wives as our own body. And he quotes from Genesis 2.24, saying that uh, you leave your... My dad would always say, leave, cleave, and weave, right? You leave your father and mother, cleave unto your wife, and you weave one life together. And that is what we're called to do here. Leave your father and mother, cleave unto your wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I want you to notice this last verse, and we'll take a couple questions if you want. Look at verse, um, uh, where is it? Verse 32, I think. Um, He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The word mystery, some of you have heard me talk about this before. The word mystery uh, is just a transliterated word from the Greek. The Greek word is mysterion. So we say mystery. And we think of mysteries. If I say mystery, what do you think of? Somebody say Sherlock Holmes, right? Agatha Christie or whatever, Hercule Poirot, or whatever the famous detectives, right? You think detective, you think murder mystery, you think whodunit. And, and the reason we use that word mystery to describe a story where we don't know the killer until the end is because the word mystery has a technical meaning. It's not that. In the Bible, the word mystery, the Greek word mystery, has the meaning that something that was previously hidden but has now been revealed. So when we watch mystery movies or read mystery novels, there's an obscure story. We don't know what's happening until the end it's all revealed. And that's actually the picture of what a mystery is. A mystery in the Bible is something that was previously hidden but now has been revealed. And it's often connected with prophecy. So mystery is prophetic stuff. And here he says, this is a mystery. He's not saying it's spooky or that it's, it's hard to understand. He's saying this was previously hidden, but now it's been revealed. And what was previously hidden, but now revealed? What, was, what is he pointing out? Okay, Christ in the church related to? Related to what? Christ in the church related to? 
Marriage, right? And we're, we're talking about, so from the beginning, he's saying, when God ordained marriage, when God said husband and wife, when he said leave, cleave, and weave, when God did all that, and when God ordained marriage, what he's doing is he's, he's saying, he's painting a picture of what will happen with Christ, that Christ is, is coming and there will be a church. And we think the church and Christ represent husband and wife. No, no, no. It's the other way around. See, the husband and wife God established to point to Christ in the church. And now it's been unveiled and we can see the picture. We can say, oh, so as I sacrifice for my wife, and as I love my wife, my wife respects me, and she follows my lead, and all, all the, the things that go on with marriage actually point to Christ in the church even before Christ came. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? So that's what it means when it says this is a mystery. It doesn't mean that it's like, oh, it's hard to understand. No, no, no. It's not hard to understand. It's, it's easy to see now. Now the, the, the veil has been pulled back, and we see that. Any questions so far before we get to the last little bit here? Okay, I haven't stepped in it too much. Okay. Look at verse 33, dealing with high wives and husbands. He says, Nevertheless, let each of you in particular... So love his own wife as himself. Okay, there's the really hard command. You are to love your wife as you love yourself. Okay, you love yourself a lot. I know you do because we don't miss meals, right? We don't forget to take care of ourselves. We're very aware of our needs. We know when we're hot. We know when we're cold. We know when we're uncomfortable. Do you know when your wife is hot, when your wife is cold, when your wife is uncomfortable? Do you know when she has needs? Probably not if you're not listening, right? Love your wife as your own body, and let the wife see that she what? Respects her husband. So here are the two sides. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. So the love and respect book that you all have heard about, perhaps, comes from this verse. To love and respect. Now, the word respect, actually, ironically enough, is the word fear. It has to do with, like we would say, the fear of the Lord. Fear your husband doesn't mean you're to be scared of him. It means you are to honor him and respect him. Um, question, is that conditional? Does he have to earn your respect in order for you to give him respect? Right. Uh, is, is that conditional? Does she have to earn your love in order to give her love? We all know that answer. No way. I Love, but how about this one? I've, I've heard people say, well, he hasn't earned my respect. But I don't think, the, I think these are pretty parallel. And I think biblically speaking, the blank there, I think is that they're both, I put them as unconditional responsibilities. I think they're both unconditional in that husbands are to love their wives. It doesn't matter if she's being a brat, right? If she's being a bad wife, you're supposed to love her. And husbands... If he's being bad, you can, you can, wife, you can respect your husband even if he is not really very respectable. Okay, if he's, if he's, not, if he's not who you thought he was when you married him, um, you should still respect your husband. And there's ways of doing that that show honor to him. I, I have met some wives who have um, amazed me by I cannot believe how kind they were to their husbands and about their husbands. Um, because I know I knew their husbands. I know their husbands, and I think to myself, "Man, if I was married to that guy, I would. I would. I wouldn't. Uh, of course, that wouldn't happen, obviously. But, <laughs> but I have to put myself in her shoes. And I think I can't believe like how kind she is to him and how nice she is to him. Wow, 
godly woman. And you know what? Um, um, this is true. Often, often situations like that where a dad is, is off the rails, but a mom is loving and is, is respectful, to, even respectful to her husband's kind of nuts, um, those kids uh, often end up respecting the Lord. They, they, they take the cues from their mom. And I have seen kids come out of homes like that where you're like, well, I mean, the mom, she just loved her husband and she respected her husband, even though her husband, in my eyes and many other people's eyes, were like, I don't understand how this is happening. But by respecting her, her husband, she pointed her kids to how to respond properly to the Lord. And those kids often were very godly kids. I've seen that happen more than once with families. So that's just anecdotal. I know it's not Bible, but that's my perspective on that. So um, my perspective on this is that both of these are unconditional, that a husband does not have conditional love for his wife, therefore a wife should not have conditional respect. He says, every one of you in particular, love your wife, let the wife see she respects her husband. That's kind of a summary of that there. Any questions or thoughts? Yeah, Jenna? I don't know if I'm endorsing that book or not. I'm sure it has some good stuff in it, but like any book, I'm sure there's things in there that are, I don't know, I don't remember. Have you read it? I don't know if I even actually got through it. <laughs> Here's my theory, so I will tell you. I read like, I, I re, whenever I read a book, I read like the, the table of contents, and I will read, don't laugh, and I'll see what's important. And normally what I've discovered about most of these books I don't know, I don't want to say it's about his Egric's book, but a lot of these books, they're like good for about four chapters, and then they start filling it with junk because they're like, I've got to make 13 chapters so it can be a Sunday school book. <laughs> that's what they're doing. And it's like they got like four good ideas, and that's their first four chapters. And so you can read, and then I don't have any guilt about putting books down. I, I read like four chapters, five chapters of a book, and it's kind of obvious they're fluffing it, and then I, I shelve it. Um, so I think that might have been what happened with this book. I don't recall. Yeah. He leads towards making it conditional. Okay. Oh, it'll be yeah. Well, I do think that's true. That if a wife respects her husband, it's easier to love, and if or it's easier for him to love, and if a husband loves his wife, it's easier for her to respect. I'm not saying that's not true. I think that's probably true. Um, but I don't think it's excuse. I don't like it, people who, I don't like it when people make excuses and people say, well, I'm, I'm this way, so I can't do this. Have you ever had, had that conversation with somebody? Well, I'm not a people person, therefore I don't witness. <laughs> oh, wait a second. I didn't see that clause in the great, in the great commission, except for non-people people or whatever, you know, except for shy people. Shy people don't, don't need to witness. That's not in the Bible. You know, that kind of stuff. People, people make excuses based on their personality. They say, well, I'm an outgoing person, so I can't control my tongue. That's not what the Bible says either, right? And so I think the same thing goes here. Well, I'm just, I'm just an independent woman. I, I, don't, I don't listen to my, my husband. He, 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 or, you know, or, or a man says, you know, I'm just I'm afraid of my wife. You know, I don't want to tell her what to do or whatever. There's a lot of different, or a lot of guys say, I'm just, you know, I'm a man's man, so I tell my wife what's what, and she says, yes, sir. And there's no love there. There's just a, an order. In fact, um, I'll, I, might, I might say, I don't have this in your notes, but when we did the marriage thing, marriage conference, I may have talked about this here as well. I don't recall. One of the things about marriage and about covenants in general is that covenants require two sides. I think I talked about this, right? Co- covenants require two sides of, of um, when you have a covenant, there's always obligations and then there's blessings. Does this sound familiar to anybody? No? Maybe a little bit. Um, when you have a covenant, you have obligations. We'll end with this. 
and you have blessings. So let's think about it in terms of marriage. In marriage, you're obligated to one another to support each other, to care for each other. You have this whole I do thing, right? Will you love, honor, and keep her? You vow. You make vows, obligations. But with those obligations come certain blessings, right? There's, there's obvious blessings of companionship and sexual union and family and, and friendship and all these things that come from the obligations, but you can't have one without the other, okay? If you have one without the other, it's a disordered covenant. So think about it. What is in a marriage, if you think about marriage relationship with all obligation and no blessings, what do you have? You have abuse, right? Demands, no blessing, no relationship, no fellowship, no companionship. You just do what a husband comes home, orders his wife around. Wife, um, I don't know how a wife would do this, but I think of in terms of men. Men do this a lot, right? They come home, they act like king of the, king of the mountain. They just demand, demand, demand. No blessing to his wife, right? That's abuse. Wives can withhold physical blessing to their husbands and demand, 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 all obligation, no blessing. That's abuse. That's abusive. What is this? All blessing, no obligation. Fantasy, right? Pornography, right? Guys, 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 especially, especially men, but sometimes women as well, are engaged in all kinds of illicit behaviors or prostitution or illicit sexual activity. One night, whatever, going out and part. This kind of behavior, you're having some sort of fake romantic uh, blessing, if you want to call it that, between two individuals that any obligation doesn't work. It's a fantasy. It isn't real. So a marriage relationship requires both. And I think you error when when you leave one off. You can actually distort your relationship. Does that make sense? So these are, these are the verses that I go to. Now, I didn't talk about um, children and fathers. I might just save that uh, for next time because I'm out of time uh, for tonight. But are there any, any thoughts or comments or questions or anything that you want to uh, clarify? Anything I said? Yeah, Matt. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, the book, The Complete Husband, deals with that verse extensively. Uh, Dwelling with your wife according to knowledge is the concept of learning your wife, learning who she is. Every wife is different. Every woman is different. So you cannot speak in broad terms and say women are like this. There are some things you can say that help men. Because here's the other thing. Men and women, despite what the media tells you, are extremely different. Right? They are. We are different from one another. And God made men and women to go together complementary-wise. We bring different things to the table. There's something a dad brings to the family that a mom can't bring. And there's something a mom brings to the table that a dad can't bring. And so by, by the... the and, and guess what? When you are... Uh, I, you know, I, I often say this, and I'll close with this. When I, before I got married... This is nothing against my wife. Before I got married, I really thought I was pretty good. I thought I was like, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Like, I'm pretty nice. You know, I'm pretty kind. I don't ever lose my temper. I, like, I got things figured out. Nobody, I mean, I don't know why people have these struggles. I used to occasionally, like, a sitcom would be on TV, and I think these are the dumbest things in the world. Like, who argues over this stuff? Nobody talks to each other like this. This is so unrealistic. And I think of myself so highly, and, and then I get married, and I realize that, that life's a little bit more difficult or a little more complicated because I have this, this person in my life very close to me now. Who, and all of a sudden, she's exposing things about my own heart that I don't really like are being exposed. 
I don't like the fact that she's showing me how selfish I am. That, that bothers me. And we have arguments over stupid little things. And then I find myself watching these stupid shows on TV being like, I know, right? <laughs> and, and, and see, this is just what happens when, when this is why, why it's so important to recognize that men and women are different and God made it that way on purpose. Because just with the guys, when the guys hang out, we're not good for each other all the time, right? There's a necessary, there's a need for the wife. And for women, when, you're, when you get together, it, it, you need some guys around. You do. And there is a necessary nature to that. And so that's part of how God designed us, and we should acknowledge that. Okay, let's close with that. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for how you have designed marriage to um, reflect Christ in the church. But you've also challenged us to walk uh, with wisdom in these things. And so I pray, God, that we would be submissive to you in this We would not uh, cling to the world's wisdom, but um, submit to your wisdom, and uh, that we would follow you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen.